Hey, welcome to In The Shift, a podcast for when life and faith go off script. My name is Michael Frost. And how are you out there? How you going? I hope you're doing all right. I uh, was talking to someone the other day about the beginning of my podcast and they said they uh, were grateful that I didn't spend too much time rambling on at the beginning like some podcasts do. And I was thinking about that afterwards. I was trying to think about uh, what Apparently, the correct strategy is not very good at strategy uh, when it comes to this kind of thing. And uh, and I have noticed that a lot of podcasts contain quite long, rambling intros. And I and I, I think, from what I can ascertain, the strategy is to, you know, connect you with who I am as a person by doing a big, long, rambly intro. Uh, anyway, I don't seem to be very good at big, long, rambly introductions, so... Essentially what I do is I do my little opening line. I've I've toyed with the idea of pre-recording that one line so I don't have to say it every time, you know, hey, welcome to In The Shift. Um, but I seem to manage to capture the same uh, kind of tone frequency with my voice each time, which I've really been working on. Uh, sometimes I think about answering my phone by saying that because if someone's been listening to the podcast, it might be weird. Anyway, listen to this. This is my great attempt at a long, rambling personal introduction. Are you loving it? I knew you were. Um, one other thing I want to say before we really get into it for today, uh, I'm looking forward to in this coming week as I record this, although by the time you hear this, whenever you hear this, this will have already happened, uh, but I'm going to be up at Snell's Beach, which is near Walkworth in New Zealand, north of Auckland, to talk about hell on Monday night with a group of people. So that is going to be a fun time and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and we'll see what happens uh, there. So this is like a shout-out to those people to say, looking forward to being with you, and also thanks for having me, because if you do listen to this afterwards, I'll have been and gone. Anyway, it'll be a good time. So we are actually at the beginning of a new series, and over the past, I think it's probably about 10 or so episodes, I have been unpacking ideas that have been largely related to what we think about God or about that which we name as God, and doing so because I think uh, many views of God are problematic, can be quite unhealthy, and if we have violent or volatile or harmful views of a God hovering over our shoulder, it often manifests in our lives in some really unhelpful ways. We can develop, in light of that, some really problematic ways of relating to those around us and the wider world in which we live, and we can also develop some really unhealthy ways of seeing ourselves. And all of these are interconnected with one another. And yet at the same time as human beings, you know, because on one level you'd think, well, if that's the case, let's just toss religion and God and faith and spirituality out the window entirely and move on, which is what some people argue for. And yet human beings seem to be still largely compelled by ideas of God or of the divine, compelled to believe that there's something more going on here, that all of this means more than just born, live, die. There's this irrepressible desire within the human experience to see meaning embedded in human life and in human experience and often attached to notions of divinity or some kind of mystical transcendent reality, and try as we might to expunge ourselves of that uh, inclination, I think it remains as present as ever. 
And so what I've been attempting to do in these last set of episodes is to say, okay, well, as someone who has lived in and studied the Christian tradition, as I have, despite some of the more problematic beliefs and actions that might have been present along the way within Christianity, what is it about the Jesus story that might in fact still be quite meaningful and relevant for us in the way we live in the world? And so rather than seeing the Jesus thing as about, you know, essentially our ticket out of hell and into heaven when we die, and, you know, and in this kind of story, Jesus is essentially our get-out clause who takes a hit for the team so that God can now forgive us and lead us into heaven. You know, so rather than this way of seeing things, uh, what we've been trying to do is explore the idea that maybe there's something different going on in the Jesus story that actually has a lot more to do with the way we live in the world here and now and also doesn't leave us with a God who is violent, who torments people forever and who is, in many respects, um, dubious in terms of ethical responsibility in the world and perhaps untrustworthy. And that's kind of where we've been. And then in this episode, we're actually beginning a new series. Uh, It's called In the Flesh. And it's going to be focused on embodiment. And I think really what I want to ask is why faith traditions often have such complicated and at times quite negative ways of understanding and seeing the, the body. And I want to ask that question because as human beings, we are embodied creatures. We don't just have bodies. Our bodies in many respects are us. And so what can spirituality have to offer us as a way of connecting with this reality of embodiment in healthy and meaningful ways? And how is this related to God and faith and all of that? So we're going to be in this series for a little while because there's lots to talk about. And we'll be navigating conversations on art and music and vulnerability and sexuality and disability and mind-body connectedness and lots more. And some of these uh, episodes will just be me talking and some of them I'll be uh, talking with others. Uh, And in the first instance, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about why bodies can end up with such complicated and sometimes quite negative connotations, especially within religious traditions. And what other ways of seeing this might be available to us. So... This is episode 17 of In The Shift. Let's get into it. Okay, so title of this first episode of our In The Flesh series is Dualism, Disembodiment and Escapism. And as I've been thinking about entering into this conversation, I've been thinking about my own experience, my own faith journey, my sense of my own body and the kind of complicated relationship I've had between all of those aspects of my life. Now, I grew up, as you may know if you've listened to some earlier episodes, in the Pentecostal Christian church. And if you know anything at all about that tradition, you'll know that some aspects of that kind of spirituality are, in fact, incredibly embodied. Whether it's, you know, the hand clapping, hand raising kind of bodily expression, often during church worship. Or maybe it's the praying and the laying on of hands on people or sometimes what come out as quite physical bodily manifestations people have while being prayed for by others perhaps, whether it's falling down or shaking or some other kind of quite physical experience. Now, when I was a little kid, I was kind of transfixed by all of this bodily expression within the church. You know, there was this thing called the Pentecostal two-step that I remember, which certain members, often the men, 
this was the appropriate way for men to demonstrate their uh, their desire for dance. Uh, and so often they would do during, you know, especially during the faster songs in church and, and the Pentecostal two-step was kind of, it's kind of a hopping jig type movement. Uh, gosh, it's a bit hard to explain, uh, but essentially you sort of hop on one foot and stick the other leg out in front and then you, and then you swap and you kind of rock between um, the two of these uh, in this kind of two-step fashion. It was kind of the, the perfect expression, you know, of, of dance with the restraint. Uh, and so that was kind of intriguing to me as a little guy, and I had a good, good imitation of all of the various clap styles that people would do in the church congregation. You know, there were people who did hand clapping, but they had very stiff sort of uh, hands, and then there were people who had very soft hands when they clapped, and then there were the clap on the beat people and the clap off the beat people, and all of this was kind of fascinating to me, and I remember being uh, whisked up the front one time by my mum to sort of hold hands and dance around and around in circles as we praised the Lord with joy. <laughs> now, in more recent times, you can see what I, what really is just a, a sort of cool, cooler, more modern version of this kind of embodied practice in more contemporary evangelical and Pentecostal churches, you know, with the bands and the young people with hands raised and jumping around to the music. Now, whatever you think about this stuff and whether it seems weird to you or if you've had similar experiences yourself, you can't deny there's something quite embodied about all of this. And yet at the same time, while some of the spirituality was embodied in this way, there were also quite negative associations often that went along with one's own body. And I remember a worship leader in a prayer meeting, I think it was, giving a stirring speech about how he just wanted to be rid of his body so he could truly be free to express his love for God. And for him, in this moment, the body was a location of limitation. It was somehow something getting in the way of his spirituality or getting in the way of his access to God or his connection to God. And so in this sense, the body's a location of limitation, but in other ways, often more explicitly negative ways, the body's also seen as the site of sin, the site of compromise. So for many young people growing up, for example, all sorts of limitations and negative connotations on the way of understanding one's own emerging sexuality and how to navigate this and, you know, memories, oh, the memories of the ministry times, you know, youth ministry, youth group that used to involve lots of young men having to go forward and be prayed for, you know, to be freed from the traps of lust and masturbation. And in this sense, then, the body is a problem. It's a location of sin, of disappointment to God and to the church. And then you have the role of the emotions as well, which were seen as one of the problematic features of the body, I think. Uh, and so while they could be incredibly positive, whenever negative emotions would come to the surface, uh, they are seen as a part of the problem. So there were sort of approved of emotions and then there were emotions much less approved of. And then at other times, whether it was sort of seen as a limitation or then seen as a site of sin, sometimes the body is just seen as irrelevant, you know, it's because it's not the real you. And so the body is just a shell that you inhabit for your time here on earth. So don't worry too much about it at all. The body doesn't really matter and it certainly doesn't have to do much to do with God or faith or spirituality or meaning. And often as I think back as I think back on my own experiences, all of these various ways of thinking about the body were all intertwined, all overlapping, all over the place. There wasn't really a consistent way of thinking about what it meant to be an embodied person. 
Sometimes I didn't think about my body at all. Other times I was just disgusted or disappointed by aspects of my own embodiment. And other times it just seemed like the body got in the way of the person I really wanted to be. Now there's lots of I haven't said about that. Um, and your particular story is likely quite different from mine. Mine is shaped by my particular context and experience, of course. But you may find, I don't know, that the relationship between faith and spirituality and embodiment has been complicated in its own way. So in this episode, I want to think about why spirituality, and in particular the Christian tradition and life in the Western world, has a complicated relationship with the body. And I want to begin by talking about this notion of dualism. Now, way back in episode four of this podcast, if you've been around since then, good one, uh, I talked a little bit about Plato as a Greek philosopher um, and the idea that became popular in Greek philosophy because of Plato and others in which the physical world is seen as fundamentally corrupt or even as evil. It was the world of ideas of non-physicality that was pure you know, and divine and non-material, non-physical. And so anything that had taken on physical form within this way of seeing the world was already less pure, less perfect, weak and corrupt. And of course, this has, impl- has implications for the way people think about their physical bodies uh, and emotions and all of those parts that are so clearly embodied and therefore corrupt and problematic. Now, sometime after Plato... And then after Jesus, when we find ourselves in early Christianity, we find that this way of thinking, when merged with certain understandings of the Jesus story and certain understandings and interpretations of some of the early Christian texts by Paul and by other authors, uh, we find that all of this led to a fundamentally negative view of the human body. Now, that happened in two uh, particular ways that I want to draw attention to that are kind of different from one another, but land us ultimately in a very similar place. So... For some people, Jesus can't have truly had a physical body because to do so would be a negative, corrupt, terrible thing. And if Jesus was somehow the divine one, as many of them claimed, well then Jesus must have only appeared to be physical and embodied, but was in fact more like a phantom. So uh, sometimes these people were called the docetics. uh, And some of them even believed that Jesus, you know, didn't leave footprints when he walked because he wasn't truly physical or embodied in that sense. Because to them, it was too difficult to comprehend some kind of divine figure having an embodied reality. And then other early Christian thinkers push back quite a lot against this kind of thinking. And they want to resist the kind of platonic dualism that characterizes all physical things, including the whole human body as inherently bad. But then what many of them did was, as I mentioned before, create an ultimately similar kind of outcome or landing place. And So you have theologians like Augustine and a number of others who believed that although the human body was created good, due to the impact of rebelling against God or the introduction of sin or what's sometimes called the fall of man, you know, characterized in this particular tale of Adam and Eve eating the fruit in the garden from the tree that they shouldn't have, Well, then because of all of this, because of this fall from perfection, the body had then become the site of depravity. Um, And so the distinction here from from platonic dualism is that the body is not fundamentally bad because it's physical. Uh, The body is fundamentally bad because it's depraved. (laughs) Uh, 
But what you still end up with is this quite negative attitude towards human embodiment. Now, the act of sex itself got kind of swept up into this, and so Augustine and others proposed, you know, that in the Garden of Eden, before the big fall, sex and procreation would have occurred, even without the need for an orgasm, you know, because the idea of an orgasm for Augustine, for example, was tied into lust and uncontrolled physicality, which is obviously a sign of the problems of the human body and its fallenness. And so it's this kind of thinking uh, that meant why, you know, many devout Christians pursued what's sometimes called asceticism, this ascetic kind of life where they would deny themselves the pleasures of life so they could in some way get closer to God. So whether that was leaving a sense of community, whether that was denying themselves food or other pleasures, uh, or uh, during this time you get celibacy emerging as some kind of preferred or holy practice, you know, the, with the with the refraining from engaging in uh, sex and marriage and all of that kind of stuff. And this eventually then becomes a requirement actually for priests in the Catholic Church. Now, why am I saying all of this? Well, I guess it's to point out that whether you think the body is fundamentally bad because you're shaped by platonic dualism, or you reject dualism and think the body is created good, but now it's fundamentally bad because of sin and the fall, either way, the present reality is that the body is seen in largely negative terms. And so much of the spirituality that emerges from this tradition continues to characterize the body, including sexuality and lots of other stuff, in largely negative terms, in which case... Good spirituality, if you like, within this framework becomes about things like knowledge, uh, maybe some kind of special knowledge or uh, maybe some kind of mystical transcendence wherein we, we move beyond the limits and the negativity of our bodily selves and we get closer to God, closer to the divine, to union with God. Uh, and so whether that's through knowledge or experience or transcendence or whatever it might be, all of those are efforts to in some way get beyond the limitations of the the body itself, so that we might have union with God. Now, of course, the Christian tradition is not alone in holding to these kinds of quite complicated views of the body. Now, it happens to be my area of expertise and experience, but other traditions also have quite complicated relationships with the body uh, and the human experience. And, and sometimes I think the tendency for people in the West, as they reject Christianity for, for various problems, is to think that Eastern religions are all much more positive about the embodied uh, human experience. But that's not always the case. And certain ways of thinking about Buddhism and Hinduism and other religious traditions can also lead us into a, a, toward a spirituality that seeks to take us out of the body in some kind of way. Okay, so then, sticking with the Western story for now, there's another layer I want to add to the story of a disembodied life, and that's the rise of modernity in the West. And so, up until around the 16th century in the Western world, in particular, it's a, it's a certain form of Christianity that dominates the way everybody sees the world. And then you get the period of time known as the Enlightenment and this is the age of the rise of science and rationality and reason. Now, certain forms of rationality and reason were already valued within the Christian tradition and the philosophical grounds of, of philosophical thinkers of Christianity. But they were primarily grounded in a religious framework. And so then over several hundred years of enlightenment, you get the peeling away of some of those religious beliefs in favor of an emerging worldview or paradigm that was less religious or spiritual. 
and yet still focused largely on rationality and reason as the primary modes of being. And so from a human perspective, the age of modernity is the age where the, I think the assumption emerges that we are pretty much just our prefrontal cortex, you know, which is the part of our brain that sits at the front, uh, evolutionarily speaking, really the most recent part of our brain to, to, to evolve. And that's where we reason and reflect and know and become self-aware and have the kind of uh, conscious knowledge that we think about as being so central to our sense of humanness. Now, the problem, of course, if you define yourself largely as that particular part of yourself, well, then you tend to uh, assume that that's the part of yourself that's the most you, uh, and it's also the most preferred part of yourself. And so, again, there's a lack of attention here paid to not just the rest of your brain and, and, your, and your mind and, and what sits beneath that or, or behind that prefrontal cortex, but then your entire body and the embodied experience of what it is to be a human being. And so the disembodied spirituality of the church tradition in the West is in some ways supplemented or now mixed up with a way of seeing a humanness that still doesn't really take us into our body in a meaningful way. And so I think what we're often left with in religious traditions in the West, and here I'm speaking, I guess, to Christianity more specifically at this point, is really a spirituality that's largely framed in escapist terms. You know, salvation itself, was I mentioned right back at the beginning of this episode, is largely couched in terms of escape, with the main aim of one day getting off this rock and escaping to heaven to be with God. Now, if that's shaped particularly by more Greek philosophy, then the whole aim is that our non-physical soul gets to escape, not just this planet, but also our physical, our physical bodies, and 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 will float around up there somewhere with God sometime. Um, or if you have a more orthodox Christian position, then it might be some kind of resurrection. But still, ultimately, the point of life after death is to get out of here, uh, to be with God. And then, as I mentioned a little bit before, spirituality is often then while we are still here. It's um, somehow about getting closer to God in the present. And this often goes hand in hand with a sense of transcending the body. And sometimes this might be through knowledge. So you see in some of the more reformed or evangelical circles, for example, within Christianity, where really good spirituality is um, knowing lots of things and believing the right things. Uh, Or if you go into the more charismatic or even Pentecostal traditions, then the getting closer to God is through some kind of experience or encounter. Uh, Often, though, that's taking us out of our body in some kind of way. Now, all of this is not actually paying much attention to the embodied self, to the emotional self, to the physical self. Uh, Instead, focusing on a God who's out there somewhere to whom we're ultimately hoping to try and get to. And the body then remains the site of sin and fallenness and corruption and something that really gets in the way of our connection with God. And I think this becomes problematic in all sorts of ways. And we fail to develop holistic and healthy ways of being human that integrate our whole selves. And, you know, then to add another layer of complexity to this, often the trauma that people experience in life occurs in their bodies especially trauma that's inflicted by others. And so if spirituality doesn't help you connect with what's going on in your body in a healthy and meaningful way, then it doesn't actually help you heal from trauma. And 
worse than that, I guess. It can sometimes exacerbate the trauma that you've experienced. So think of someone, you know, perhaps with some mental health, with a mental health journey, and maybe that mental health journey has arisen due to some trauma of some kind. It's not always the case, but let's just imagine that that's the case. And then what can happen within a church system that's not set up well for dealing with what's going on in the body, you end up with a spiritual response, like maybe you've got some kind of demonic problem that needs exorcism, that the cause is seen as being spiritual, and sometimes this kind of approach can then worsen the original problem, exacerbate the trauma that's been experienced. And I think this is a problem that, that we need to think our way through. And outside of Christianity, you know, I'm not sure why the Western culture is particularly well set up for this conversation either. So, you know, you have the escapism present in religion, but I think we now have escapism that's available to us via all sorts of other means too. And so, our, you know, our reliance on certain forms of technology in the 21st century, while sometimes like super useful, uh, can also serve to take us out of our bodies. Perhaps we come to see ourselves and others as shallow online versions of a person, you know. And so a complex, integrated, embodied human being is reduced down to an avatar, to text on a screen, rather than the full human person that they are. And then you can see the implications of that for the way people start to treat one another in that space. So if you think about, uh, there's, there's a lot of good things that occur in the domain of social media, for example, and, and, and it's easy to pick on, of course. Uh, but the outrage that's fueled and fostered online from people towards others is often occurring partly because I think that rage and, and is sitting beneath the surface for a lot of people, that it's not being dealt with well. And secondly, when you've reduced somebody else down to an avatar and a few words of text on a page, then the reactions to them can become... Uh, entirely disproportionate and um, and damaged by the fact that you're not seeing them as this genuine embodied creature. Okay, so what do we do with all of this? Well, I guess it's all of this complication that this new series, In the Flesh, is going to be exploring. And we'll be doing it from a number of different perspectives. But for now, I just want to say a couple of things from the perspective of the Christian tradition. Firstly, the story of Jesus, which is kind of central to Christianity, um, is supposed to be, I think, a big part of what's supposed to be going on in that story is a radical affirmation of humanness itself. You know, the Christmas story, which Christians celebrate every year, um, is supposed to be a reminder that the divine enters into the human experience. Now, however you understand this mysterious idea, and there are lots of different ways of trying to explain what is meant by that, some which you might find more difficult to believe than others. Ultimately, the idea is that humanness in all of its bodily sense is affirmed. Uh, a big part of what's going on in the story of Jesus is that God is present to us in the bodies of one another. And so not only does the divine show up in Jesus, uh, the New Testament authors seem to think that somehow then we are invited to see the divine present in the faces and bodies of those who are around us. So that's one thing to note at this point. 
And then, and that, I think, pushes back against either narrative that ends up locating the body as uh, the site of primarily negative, corrupt, and sinful practice. And then secondly, my hope is that spirituality that ends up working well for us will actually help us to integrate the various aspects of who we are as human beings. So rather than accentuating divisions between body and mind or body and soul or body, soul and spirit or wherever these lines tend to get drawn, I think, you know, healthy spirituality should help us to see the way that these things are actually a part of the core fundamental experience rather than seeing some parts of us as more real or more pure or more good than other parts of who we are. And if we're able to start from this point, then maybe this becomes the beginnings of thinking in holistic ways about God and faith and bodies and sexuality and art and all sorts of aspects of the human experience. Often when I'm teaching theology, I encounter students who have been trained up and taught to think about themselves in terms of body, soul, and spirit. And that for many of them, they're a bit confused about what that means in the first instance whenever I ask them. But secondly, often what they talk about is that the spirit is the most real part of them or the spirit is the part of them that connects with God. And that the soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions, and then the body is just the outer shell. And both body and soul are often seen as having to somehow be subservient to or come under uh, the spirit or to be discarded one day ultimately when we'll be free of them. And, and I just think that's a fundamentally unhealthy, problematic way of understanding what it is to be a human being. And instead, I think what uh, both the Jewish and Christian stories in the sacred text of the traditions uh, what they offer us is spirituality that connects with a full sense of what it means to be an embodied creature. Now, before we finish, uh, and I'll let you know what's coming up next time, I just wanted to say a quick thanks to Reese Michelle, who, since the very first episode of In The Shift, has been helping to edit the sound quality and make my voice sound listenable to you. Uh, and so thanks to Reese for helping to make the podcast happen. I really appreciate that. So in the next episode of In The Shift, we're going to be continuing the conversation about the way disembodied spirituality in particular has shaped us. We're going to be talking about certain ideas of holiness and how they've often served to negatively characterize the body. We might try redefining that term and how we might start to move beyond this way of thinking. So that's next time on In The Shift. <laughs>